Discussing the latest in employment law, it's the Employment Huddle Podcast with Guy Allen and Samantha Turetsky. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the end of the year Employment Huddle Podcast. How are you, Samantha? I'm doing well. I cannot believe that this is our end of year podcast. Crazy, right? It's like you look up and it's December already and where the year go? I have no idea where it went, but I'm glad that we are doing this uh, podcast for our listeners and going to touch on some really important topics for them. Yeah, let's just talk about what we've been seeing this year, you know, you know, trends for you know, basically this year, and then we'll go into uh, what, you know, what we would recommend for going into the new year. Uh, and then, of course, our water cooler talk, which will be our New Year's resolution. It's only appropriate, right? And at the end, we have a very special guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you will see. Our listeners will have to listen all the way through for our special guest, and I hope everyone loves it. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they will. So, look, I think front and center is Wage an Hour, right? We spoke about it in many of our podcasts. It's just, it doesn't go away. And it's becoming, you know, more and more of a focus for plaintiff's lawyers, and, and for our clients. So I just, I, mean, I think that's the, you know, the first thing we should, we should talk about. And to me, um, I guess the big thing, two big things for me anyway, are uh, misclassification, exempt and non-exempt. We're, see, we're seeing a lot of that where you know, em, em, employers will say, yeah, this person's an assistant manager and he or she's an exempt or whatever the position may be. But despite the title, they're really not. And, and it, Gets employers in, in in trouble, so we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that. And when you have that gray area, it's super important to make sure you have the time records. I know people don't like to clock in and clock out because it just doesn't feel as good. But if you're, it's a really good layer of protection for an employer that if you have it wrong, if someone challenges you on it. At least an employee can say, hey, I worked 100 hours in a week, and, and the employer, which has the burden of, of proving how much time was worked, at least you have have some backup. So I, I think that you know those misclassification issues are becoming, it just won't go away. I agree. We've been seeing that a lot over the last year. I also think, um, besides just an increase in wage and hour litigation, we've also seen an upward tick in Department of Labor investigations. Right. And that's a very big part of their investigation is checking classifications, checking job descriptions. Sometimes they'll even interview employees or managers or, or try to do interviews um, to see what the employees are doing on a day-to-day basis. And then they'll compare that to the job descriptions. So we did cover this in a previous episode, but one of the most important things that employers have to do is to make sure that their job descriptions reflect what employees do on a day-to-day basis. No question. You know what's also throw, definitely throwing a wrinkle into all this is the remote work, right? Because yet you have employees who are working from home, not as easy to track time. Yeah, sometimes some employers have systems in place where they have to clock in and clock out, but some don't. And it's hard to monitor, so it creates issues that way. And also, if you have employees who are going from home to a job site, say, 
is that compensable time? So we're seeing that as an issue as well, right? Especially with the remote work and commuting to job sites or whatever the situation may be. Definitely. I think um, we're seeing an increase in uh, travel time, compensable time. A lot of people are bringing claims about, like you just said, traveling from site to site. Um, so it's, it's an interesting time to be a, an employment lawyer, as it has been for the last, what, two and a half, three years since the pandemic started? Yeah, no question. And and definitely, so, I mean, a byproduct of COVID, obviously, the world's changed, people working remotely. It just has a, it just throws a lot more in, into the mix. And you have to also be, as an employer, be cognizant of if you have your employees working in different states, mm. right, that you're complying with those particular states leave laws or wage an hour, whatever the wage an hour laws, whatever the, whatever the applicable law may be, you got to check in and make sure does it apply to me? me? You know, some states, for example, like for a leave law, uh, sick leave, you may may require ten employees to be in that state. So, and if you only have two employees working, not an issue. But some, but some don't have any uh, requirements as far as. Uh, numerosity, and you may find yourself uh, having to abide by a sick leave law, you know, at a state that you didn't think you did, right? Absolutely. I think that this is a great thing for employers to focus on as the new year rolls around, especially as remote works is here to stay, it seems, or is our new normal to some extent, whether that's a hybrid policy or fully remote. Um, it's funny, a lot of uh, employers found out that their employees moved during the pandemic and they only found out when they did a return to work policy and said, oh, we would like everyone to come back to headquarters. Um, and then employers had to make the decision of whether or not to allow that employee to still work remotely or if they had to let them go or some version of a compromise. So it's definitely something that's still front and center. I think for the upcoming year, we'll see more employers struggling with what to do in terms of keeping remote work, um, implementing hybrid schedules. As we move further and further away from the uh, start of COVID, I think we're going to see employers struggling with what to do with that because it is a new normal. Employees like to work from home. They like the flexibility. But what does that mean for our workplace as we move into a new way of life of you know, COVID does seem like it's here to stay. Um, so what what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a new way of life. It's a, it's a new normal. You know, I originally thought, all right, it was going to revert back to everyone back in the office and, you know, back to normal. But that's not the case anymore. It's just not, I, you know, I, I think we have a new normal. It has, and that has a serious impact for employers. So what we're seeing also <laughs> is, you know, we have employers who are uh, either who have, you know, generally operate out of one state, but all of a sudden have employees in all different places now. So we're doing handbook addenda that are specific to each state. So, you know, say you work out in New York, that's your primary headquarters, but you have your people in Florida or Arizona. If leave laws and stuff like that apply, you're going to need to issue policies that, that reflect that. So that's the remote work and working in different places uh, is, is certainly um, going to be an issue, has been an issue and will be an issue going forward. Uh, you know for sure we're we're seeing you know we're certainly seeing a lot of that. And I separate from remote work, I, as far as the state specific issues, uh, it's it just good to keep in mind that if if you do have separate 
you may have a main headquarters again in New York, but you have different satellite offices or whatever the case may be. Samantha and I are doing a lot of these, like these handbook addenda, state specific, because especially when it comes to paid sick leave and things like that, it's very nuanced and it can really be different state to state, city to city even. So as you evaluate your your operations going forward, if you do if you do operate in multiple you know, multiple states, it's certainly something to uh, keep an eye on. Absolutely, and on a similar topic, I think we should talk about COVID nineteen leave, um, specifically in New York, which is where we practice mostly. Um, I've been receiving a lot of questions on what to do about COVID nineteen leave. Is it still in effect? Uh, what are employers supposed to give their employees at this point? Um, and so just to clear up any confusion, New York State, at least, still has COVID-19 leave. It depends on the size of the employer, how many people are in their workforce. And it is different than New York State or New York City's sick and safe leave, which has been something that is driving employers crazy. It is very complicated. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, but just on a very surface level explanation, COVID-19 leave is different than sick and safe leave. If an employee has COVID-19, they are um, they have a positive result for COVID-19, they are entitled to leave. Um, the latest guidance from the state is that employees can use the COVID-19 leave up to three times. Um, at this point in time, that is three positive cases of COVID-19. In the past, it used to be based on, the first one could be based on just a pure exposure that's not the case anymore. It's three positive um, identifications of COVID-19. The state does have a pretty helpful website that walks you through the process. It does provide an affirmation um, that the employee is supposed to fill out and give to the employer, uh, attesting to the fact that they have COVID-19, and that is the pretty much the documentation that an employer can rely on to give the sick leave. Um, but it, it still is an, it is an effect, and we're, we are seeing an increase in calls um, and requests for information on it. Now that the winter is here, people are in much tighter quarters. It seems that the COVID numbers are spiking a bit. Um, so if anyone needs any guidance on that, we're happy to help, and we're here. Um, but the state does offer a pretty great website um, with an FAQ on COVID-19 leave. But it is very important to remember that it is separate from sick and safe leave. Yeah, very, very complicated. It, re it really is. And we, we do get a, a lot of calls on that because even the, you know, even if, for instance, a quarantine uh, period under under the guidance is only five days, for instance, you know, depending on the size of the employer, you may have to give up to 14 days. It doesn't really line up, right, Samantha? So, but, but at this point, you know, we're, we're trying to be conservative with it. And even though it doesn't make complete sense, uh, you know, it's something that, that uh, you know, we have to grapple with uh, um, on, a daily, on a daily basis. Right. And that's, a, that's a great point, Guy. Um, and that is something that is driving employers a little bit crazy right now is that the as the quarantine period has changed from 14 days to 10 days, now it's five days, the amount of COVID-19 leave under this state uh, policy has not changed. All right. So as kind of as an offshoot to the COVID leave, we're seeing also you know, a rise in, in disability discrimination cases. And the, really the, one of the big things I'm seeing are situations where um, yeah, you, have, you, you have plans to terminate an employee, haven't been performing well, 
gotta get you, you, you know you want want to terminate want to lay off whatever the situation may be and before you have a chance to do it they tell you they have a medical issue big problem potentially if you don't have it documented if you don't have it documented if you have it documented that you have these plans in place and then they tell you have their medical issue not, not as big of a deal you know email can be difficult for employers, you know, in, in litigation, because you never know what was said back and forth, but it could also be your best friend, because it's time-stamped, it's mm -hmm. date-stamped. So if you have, if I want to terminate Samantha, next Please week, don't. next week I'm terminating <laughs> Samantha, and I send an email to my partner, I'm terminating Samantha December 31st, right before New Year's Eve. What a guy. The best, right? So kind. Right? Don't care about the holiday, that's what I'm doing, December 31st. December 30th, Samantha comes to me and says, you know what, I got a big medical issue, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I may, I may need leave, intermittent leave, every nightmare that an employer uh, is presented to an employer. If I don't have that documented, my intentions, I have a problem. But if I have a date stamp, time stamp email that says, this is what I'm doing, and Samantha comes to me in between, my email and my plan to terminate, I'm not as worried. Still could be an issue, but at least I have the document. So if you're planning, if you have a troubled employee, it's so important to, to really document it and make your make your intentions clear, even if it's to yourself, even if it's emailed to yourself, somewhere, somehow, memorializing it so you don't get caught in that situation and it happens more than you think. Mm -hmm. You call an employee in to terminate their employment, and before you get the words out of your mouth, they say something to you that, that makes them protected. They make a complaint, medical condition, whatever it is. So we're seeing a lot of that. Really, really important if you can uh, you know, document it so you're, you're good. I'm actually surprised at how much we've been seeing this, especially the last few months or so, it feels like. There really is an uptick in these disability discrimination claims and these exact uh, sort of employer grappling, decision-making, but what really surprises me the most is that is how few employers um, don't document really well. Right. It, it really is surprising to me how, you know, you might get a phone call that says, oh, I have this problem employee. They did all of these things, right? And it's a laundry list of things of bad attitude, poor performance, disruptive, whatever it might be, right? But it's a laundry list. And then... A good follow-up question is, okay, can you send me the material so I can review it? And then there's no there's no documentation. Whether it's, you know, in a, the disability discrimination context or any other type of claim, it, it's just so surprising to me that documentation is is really lacking. It is. And, and I, I just think part of it is, you know, employers are so busy, you know, and, and supervisors are busy doing their thing, running their business, they don't have time for it. But you're right. Every call, I feel like every call we have is, okay what's any warnings anything the most a lot of times you get is like all right we well, yeah, we get a verbal here or there so like, it's document documentation is like employment law 101 right and you would think that employers would know to do it and they do kind of know but they don't put it into place and even in the disability context you know say you're you know you have a problem employee and you want to terminate and then they they complain of something in the workplace. They don't like how you're doing business or uh, something protected or how they're being treated. 
And then you decide to terminate because they really are not a good employee. But guess what? If you don't have that documented, and in between the time that you plan to do it, and that you actually do it, and an employee complains, well, then you have a retaliation claim on your hands. So it's, 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 it really is, it sounds very rudimentary, but it's so important to, uh, you know, to document, uh, you know, for, you know for sure. So Right, and I think to the point you were making before, it doesn't have to be anything extensive. Even if you give an employee a verbal warning, if you jot down in a supervisor's file or even an email to yourself or a running list that you save, spoke to so-and-so at so-and-so time about blank, this is a summary of what we discussed, verbal warning given. Right. You don't have to provide it to the employee. It's just something to document in case you ever need it in the future, and that you can keep a running list of the history of this employee. Right. I don't care if it's on a coffee stained paper napkin, honestly. I mean, better if it was in a nice email or something. <laughs> but something, to Samantha's point, something that says, hey, we plan, we plan to uh, we plan to do this. And the more specific, the better. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, there's no question about that. Uh, there's a couple other things that I guess have come up in the in the past year. Most uh, most recent, I guess, is the, is the salary transparency. Uh, in New York City, that is, you would, it's one of those laws that you would think, okay, it makes sense, and maybe it does make sense, but as usual, it, it's causing fits for employers, and, and mostly because of the range of it, right, Samantha? Right. We're seeing a lot of, um, I think, just interesting pushback on it and also a little gamesmanship being played of people are complying, they're putting salary ranges, um, but the range is extremely broad, right? So... For example, you might have a position and the salary range is $10,000 to $120,000. That's not a realistic range. Right, right. And the basis of the law is that a company has to put a good faith range of what they think that they would pay that position. It doesn't mean you have to offer the highest on the range because that's actually some. Uh, a lot of the questions I've been receiving is, well, if I have to give a range and someone sees the high end, they're going to want the high end. Am I locked into giving them the highest amount listed? Right. And the answer is no. It is a good faith range of right. what you foresee your budget or what you know your budget to be. Right. So that means, you know, you have to use your best judgment of what is good faith. Having a $100,000 range, I don't think that that is um, a reasonable salary range. Right. You know what's also giving employers fits, though, is the connection to like New York City, right? If I'm out Long Island, but I have workers in New York City, working remotely in New York City. That's it, enough. Does that lock me in? I think it does, right? It does. That That's the very interesting part of the law, which is also driving people a little crazy. I don't think it's so much um, the, the thought process behind the law and what it's meant to achieve, which is pay, pay equality. Um, and more transparency in pay, I don't think anyone really has a problem with that. It's it's more of just how to comply and all of these different nuances to the law. Of So if you have a position that you're posting that's remote, which, as we were talking about earlier, is kind of the new way of, of the working world, if that position is eligible to be done by someone who lives in New York City, right, because it's remote, which means you could more or less do it anywhere in, in the country, maybe even the world, if you would take an application from someone who works in New York City and can do the job in New York City remotely, that posting now applies because it has the potential to be done in New York City. 
Right. So like that that's a very interesting part of the of the law is that if the job could be done in New York City, has the potential to be done in New York City, the law applies. Right. I feel like that's I agree. I think it's a very well intentioned law. You know, but so is the FMLA. Very well intentioned. And it's been a disaster for employers to comply with. It's very complicated, all these nuances, very, very difficult. I'm not saying <laughs> the pay, uh, salary transparency is going to rise to that level, but it's just an example of a well-intentioned law that wasn't completely thought out in the drafting because it's, you know, when you dive deep into the regulations, you don't really find anything that, that gives you that answer. It's got to be, you know, connected. If the work to be done in New York City, then you're falling into that, that umbrella. But so there is going to be, again, some gray areas of, hey, I'm sending some employee, I have, I have a contract that needs to, you know, a job needs to be done in New York City for six months. Is that, you know, is that, connect me probably or but if, but if I'm sending attorneys to court you know a couple right. days a week is that enough probably not you know but but if you have attorneys working in New York City remotely probably is so it's 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 just one of those things that are uh, you just got to keep an eye on if, if you're not in New York City but do work in New York City right that this law definitely has a lot of layers to it I think that they're each job posting has to be looked at in, uh, you know, for the job description, for the position. It's not something that you can just apply blanket unless, you know, uh, we are seeing a lot of employers just adopting a policy that they will put salary ranges, um, whether it's in New York City or New York State or, or elsewhere. There is sort of this movement towards just putting a salary range um, and avoiding any confusion or gray area. Right. So that's a, you know, a byproduct of the law and, and kind of this cultural shift that we're seeing of, uh, you know, it's it's not as taboo anymore to talk about your salary. And it's, you, as an employer, you can't discourage employees from talking about their salaries outside of the workplace. You can put limitations on inside of the workplace, right. but not outside of the workplace. So those are, you know, very specific cultural shifts that we're seeing. Um, societal shifts that I think will continue to impact the law that employers should be mindful of, um, and we'll see how that develops. All right. So, so the last topic that I just wanted to address that we're seeing as a trend this past year has to do with criminal history, conditional offers, background checks. It's, it's one of those things that's it's been around for quite some time, but it I don't know things t- tend to come in bunches, and we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see some issues with whether an employer can run a background check before um, making you know, making an offer employment, or can you ask a question about you know someone's criminal history uh, on a job application before making an offer of employment? Uh, you know, and the answer to the latter is is a resounding no. And uh, we, we've gotten some questions about that. We've had some issues about it. Had some charges filed about it. Uh, again, it's not something that's brand new, but just for some one reason or another, seems to come across, came across our desk right in the last few months. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, like you said, that is not new, but maybe people are not paying as much attention to. And then when you find yourself in a situation where either you're facing a charge or someone tells you that you're not supposed to be doing that, um, and then you start to pay attention to it. So, right. So maybe it's just one of those things that that has flown under the radar. Right. But we are definitely seeing an uptick in in this area um like you said it, it's definitely important that employers in new york and especially new york city do not ask about criminal history um it's you know in layman's terms referred to as the ban the box law 
in New York City where you should not be asking someone to check a box, yes or no, about their felonies or criminal history, whatever it may be, or previous arrests. Um, you have to offer a what, what's called a conditional offer of employment when you're hiring someone, meaning we will give you this job based on these conditions. And one of them may be a background check. And then after that, there is a whole process to go through with uh, receiving consent for a background check. And then if whatever comes back changes your employment decision, there are very rigid steps that you have to follow and factors you have to weigh in order to be able to revoke that conditional offer. Right. So even if you follow steps correctly, you don't have the, you don't ask the wrong questions on your application, you get the consent, you do all that, something pops on the background check. Hmm. You know, five years ago, someone was convicted of this or, or that, which may or may not pertain to the job that he's doing, he or she is doing. It's got to be, at the end of the day, generally, if you want to revoke the offer in the broadest terms, based upon a, a prior conviction, it's got to impact his or her ability to work safely and do their job for you. And sometimes it's tough because sometimes it may be something, you know, 10 years ago, someone was convicted of a, like a minor burglary. It may make you a little uncomfortable, right, to have that person in your workplace. It was 10 years ago. And temporal proximity plays a role in it also. Uh, so, you know, if it happened last month, yeah, yeah, you have a better argument. 10 years ago, a little bit harder. If someone was, you know, it's, it's a banking job and someone was convicted of forgery, well, that's a no-brainer, right? It's those tougher ones which just make you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, they didn't do the right thing under the law, but does it really make a difference? Can he, he or she still stock shelves? Probably, but it may make you a little bit uncomfortable. If you want to revoke the offer, as Samantha was saying, you can do it, but there are real, there's an analysis that you have to follow under the law, step by step by step, basically just iterating why you have to revoke it why he or she can't do his job safely in your, in your work environment. So just be aware that there are definite steps you got to follow in that regard. Right. And, and the analysis is pretty in-depth. You have to go through each factor, and, it's, and, and you want to analyze how that factor contributes to this person not receiving the job. Right. So it's not just, oh, some factors weigh in and some don't. You really have to go through every single factor, and, and it should be a pretty in-depth analysis so that you can have that paperwork buttoned up um, if it is ever challenged. Yep, no question about it. So, again, not a new law, but something that for one reason or another is, has been on our radar as of late. So, rolling into the new year, New Year's upon us, always a good time to really evaluate your policies, take a look, see if there's anything that, First of all, you want to make sure that it's compliant with new laws that seem to always you know, pop up towards the end of the year and beginning of the new year. So you want to make sure it's compliant, your, your policies, your handbooks. Uh, you want to see maybe there's something that's not legally required, but you want to address in the workplace, for example. You know, too much cell phone usage. Things like that. Uh, you, you may want to say, oh, yeah, that's a problem. I want to include this in my handbook. The, <clears throat> the end of the year, beginning of the new year, is a really, really good time to do it because it's kind of innocuous. You're not rolling it out. This is the new year. We have new policies. This is what we're doing. It's a good time to do it. If you don't have, you've heard us talk about arbitration agreements and class action waivers, which we're very big on. Uh, 
you know, sometimes employees may give you a little pushback on that. Oh, why are you making me sign this document in, you know, July? What's going on? It's a lot easier to do it, you know, at the end of the year, um, you know, the beginning of New Year. So that's certainly something uh, that, that you want to look at. And I know Samantha, who deals regularly with our uh, PTO and sick leave policies, knows that it's, it's a good time to, to revisit those, right? Right. Um, I've been having a lot of conversations with employers on what to do with the new COVID-19 leave uh, that we talked about earlier. If that's around to stay, some people are re-examining how much PTO time they give um, if, the, if that's encompassed of uh, general PTO, meaning uh, vacation, personal, sick time, if they do an all-encompassed day, um, if they want to shave that in a little to, to kind of make up for the the five or potentially 14 days of COVID-19 leave that, that they have to give. So we are having some conversations around that. Um, it's kind of split on what people are doing with it, but you have to do, you know, what's conducive to your work environment and, and each, every business is very fact specific. Right, for sure. Uh, and you know, as we alluded to earlier in the show, the, the wage and hour exempt, non-exempt misclassification issue is is front and center. This is a really, really good time to do a self-audit and just take a look at your job descriptions. Make sure that they fit what the employee is actually doing. Just because that job description says they're doing it, if they're not doing it, it, it doesn't um, doesn't mean much. It comes down to really comes down to what they're doing, and, and you want to make sure that everything matches up, and that there are going to be some job description of jobs that are clearly exempt and those that are, are clearly non-exempt. But if you want to make the change, again, now's a good time to do it because if you think, well, you know, maybe I misclassified this person. We had her, him or her as exempt, paying a salary, but in retrospect, probably should have been hourly and probably should pay overtime. And yeah, that could have some issues about what you do with the retroactive overtime. But if you have to switch the pay, from a salary to hourly, to clocking in and clocking out or not, beginning of the year is a, a better time uh, to do that uh, as opposed to, again, just popping it up in the, in the middle of the year. And uh, also another change that is coming in 2023 that employers should be aware of is paid family leave will be adopting uh, siblings as a family member that an employee can take time off for and use their PFL to care for them for a serious medical condition. So the definition is expanding into siblings. So employers might be facing uh, employees requesting PFL for siblings. And so that's just something to be aware of because that's that's a new change in the law. Right. And also, I mean, it's not um, so much new, but you, know, you also have the uh, whistleblower uh, retaliation, Section 740 New York Labor Law. Right, so that that's a new one that if, if you haven't already reviewed your policies and haven't um, updated those for the beginning of the new year, you should definitely think about reviewing those policies, rolling out new policies, um, even if it's not before the new year, at the start of the new year, within you know the first few weeks or uh, throughout January, take, take a little self-audit of all the policies and make sure that everything is up to date. Right, and lastly, again, certainly not new, Sexual harassment training in, in New York is required. It's required every year. You can do it through, I mean, New York City has an excellent um, training program where you go online and 
compli- it compli- it's complies for the state and the city, uh, and they, you know, you watch it, you get a, you watch the video online, you do a, you get a certificate, and you're, you're compliant, and that's certainly one way to do it. There's live training that, you know, employment attorneys can do, and uh, but just keep in mind, it's something that, as an employer, you want to do, because if you're in the situation where you're accused of sexual harassment, you don't want to be in the position of not being in compliance with the training. Uh, that's something that would certainly be a bullet in a plaintiff lawyer's gun by saying, hey, they don't even follow the law. They don't take this seriously. I would much rather be, not only is the law, but I would much rather be in the position to say, hey, we take this seriously. Look at our handbook. It's a whammer jammer handbook. It's all uh, you know, lined up. Everything's up to date, compliant. Mm-hmm. We take this stuff seriously. We do the training. Here are the certificates. We're all good to go. Uh, so yeah, it's not a hard thing, and, and it's um, not an expensive thing. It's actually free if if you want to use the New York City um, you know video, which is which is which is a good one. Uh, so certainly that's something that you know employers should keep in mind. Absolutely, I've watched that New York City training more times than I would like to share. Um, but it's actually a good video. You don't. It's one of those videos you don't mind watching and going through. So. Everyone, there's no excuse to at least not use that resource. Right. I agree with that. So that kind of brings us to the end of kind of what we saw in the last year, what we, um, some advice or our, our view anyway on what you should look at as the New Year's upon us, uh, which now brings us to the favorite segment before our very special guest of Water Cooler Talk. And I think... We're just forced into it. We have no choice. And we, we thought of different things to talk about. But at the end of the day, how do you not <coughs> discuss the New Year's resolution? How do you not? You, I don't think there's any way around it. You, in fact, I think if we went on another topic, they'd say, why don't you ask about the New Year's resolution? I just think we're we're forced into it. We would lose all credibility with the right? listeners you can't if we have, did not discuss it. You can't have an end-of-year podcast without talking about a New Year's resolution. I mean, you could talk about who you think is going to win the bowl games. Which I have no idea what that means, so right. that's not really a fair topic. Right, right. Although, so, let us not forget that I did predict the Super Bowl winner of this year. You did. So, I just had to remind everyone that that was my claim to fame. So, you maybe did. I would have been right. In you this, did. But I, I have no idea what that is. I mean, I'm super excited. My alma mater joined Green Wave playing the Cotton Bowl. Super excited about that, so I'm all in on the, uh, on the, on the Tulane Green Wave. But anyway, New Year's resolution... Samantha, you want to go first? Want me to go? No, I I have not given it a lot of thought, to Here be honest. Here we go. An excuse already. No, no excuse. Um, but this past year, one of my goals was to get into weightlifting, um, which I was successful in, and then I suffered an injury. So my New Year's resolution for the upcoming year is to heal my injury and get back into it Um it's something that I very much enjoyed doing. It was a good balance from the stress of the work workplace um, and a good just a little outlet. So I'm hoping to get back into that and uh, continue to grow my interest there. Nice. Mine is very simple. Oh, no. No, very, very simple. It's one word. Gratitude. Gratitude. I want to... Take the time. What to did you just, watch the Kelly Clarkson show this morning? No, I, I just, <laughs> you know, it's just something that I just, I'm just feeling it. You know, I feel like you gotta show appreciation for the people around you. You gotta be appreciative 
for what you have, be grateful for what you have, uh, be grateful for feeling well. You know, I had some my own little medical issues, you know, that were a little bit difficult, but I'm rocking and rolling, I'm good, I'm just feeling really appreciative uh, to be feeling well and to be doing what I'm doing, drawing what I'm doing, and actually to working with you, Samantha. Pains me to say it, but <laughs> I, 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 I do have gratitude for you and, and everything that we do here at the Employment Huddle and in right our everyday practice. Right back at you, guys. So that's my very simple New Year's resolution, just to be grateful. You know, I, I really like that, and I respect that very much. I think that we could all use some more gratitude in our lives and to also continue that feeling and sentiment throughout the year. I think right. people kind of lose it when you're, you know, in the beginning of the year, or middle, and, you know, around this time of year, everyone does seem a little bit more grateful when you do your year-end review and, and you're thinking back on all you've accomplished or, or maybe all the people that have helped you or supported you. Um, but I think it's important that we, we continue that train of thought throughout the year. I think so. So like, this is a good time of year, right? It's a good vibe in the air generally, holiday parties, there's all this stuff. You know, but then you roll back into the office on January 3rd or 4th, it's negative 10 degrees, and you got to start all over again. It's easy to kind of lose sight of that. All right, well, you know, life's good. I got my my health or my family or whatever your situation is. There's always a place to find some gratitude, and um, I have to, uh, I think that's something that, uh, is important, and I actually have to credit to my uh, to my my older son Landon, who is uh, really preaches that and kind of lives his life that way. And uh, I just think it's it's something to marvel at, and uh, I try to something I'm going to try to emulate uh, because I think it's real, and, and I've tried to do it, and certainly uh, you know I uh, it's definitely goal mine. It's definitely a resolution, like you said, Samantha. It's, it's easier this time of year when people are you know, happier and getting their bonuses, hopefully, and doing things like that. But then, you know, January rolls around, you're back to the grind. Easy to lose sight of that. But, so my resolution, gratitude. I love that. So maybe we'll adopt that in the practice group all around. I Sticking think that that it. is great. So to everyone, have a very, very happy and uh, healthy new year. Uh, we will come back at you on the other side of the new year uh, in early January. Uh, but now it's time for our special guest. All right, everybody. So as promised earlier in our episode, we have a special guest for our end of the year podcast. It is our very own Trisha Gray, who has not only been our firm administrator for the past 23 years, but is a certified yoga teacher, teacher with the National Yoga Alliance, with also a certification in meditation, which are skills, I think we need when you manage lawyers in the workplace. Trisha, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us about, first of all, what's it like managing a firm of 50-some-odd lawyers for 23 years? How do you do it, and how does your, your, your yoga and meditation help you through that? Well, of course, every day is different, and every every attorney or every person is uh, brings a different challenge. Some are fabulous and warm and just the light and some may not be just in any other workplace I'm sure that I can feel the same way but how do I manage it um, I really just try to approach every conversation with a calm sense about me so that I can maybe give that same sense of calm to the person that I'm, I'm experiencing the conversation with or engaging with I believe that meditation and a yoga practice 
helps me with that and it's definitely improved my um, skill set over the last decade or so as I've been you know more of a serious practitioner I mean Trisha gives like an incredibly chill vibe like I'll go into her office with all this crazy stuff going on and Trisha's like I got this it's all good and I'm convinced it has to do with the, the yoga and meditation so take us through how you think I mean, is meditation, you think, beneficial in the workplace? I think it's very beneficial to the workplace. And I think that, you know, given the last couple of years and what we've experienced, I think that everyone has more of an awareness now of what meditation can be for a just an overall well-being for any individual, whether it's here in the workplace, a stressful mom at home, or a caregiver for any person in life, young, old, what have you. Um, so I do think that employers it's something to really consider adding to or at least supporting for their staff recognizing that meditation is something that would benefit everyone in any you know any walk of life yeah i mean so so trisha established a meditation rule for us which i didn't i didn't know about i heard she was going to do it you know I'm like this is terrific what a great idea i actually went in and i used it did you now twice it's like so calm so I get off a phone call, handling a you know a triage issue, go in, nice smelling meditation room. It's dark. It's it has peaceful. great lighting. Great lighting. 15, 20 minutes later, I'm ready to go again. You're a new person. I'm a new person. So I just think that's like such an awesome benefit. Is there like a skill you have to learn though to do a, a good meditation? I try. You did. Trisha did a, uh, and we'll, we'll attach this to our to our podcast. You know, a good um, guided meditation, which I which I've used, and I think it's terrific. But I feel like I'm not great at it. Like my mind goes in nine thousand different directions, and it's really hard to stay focused. Is there a Trisha? Is there a skill set to that you get better at it? You will get better with time and practice. Remember that all those little thoughts and all those little to-do lists and what we call the mindful chatter will always flow through your mind. And the idea is that with more practice, you'll be able to push them away, you know, a little more successfully, let's say. So just finding a quiet space, and you don't need a meditation room to do it. You, If you have, um, just honestly, you can sit in your car for three minutes, but if you have an office, you have a door, you can just close your eyes and breathe through your nose, and that's a really important part, and let me explain why. The nose has a smaller passage for air to flow through your body. Therefore, you have a longer, slower breath. The longer, slower breath is actually calming the body, because if we pant through the mouth, we're going to have anxiety. You don't realize that when you're just intentionally breathing through the nose, you're slowing down and calming the body, lowering your blood pressure. And it helps you. It's all connected. It's all connected. It helps you calm down. So now, of course, the chatter will come in as you are just hanging out. Wait, hold on. Am I breathing through my, in and out through my nose? Always, yes. And not close my mouth. Close your mouth. Just chill out. And you just close your mouth, breathe in and out through the close nose. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just find a nice, quiet, comfortable space. And you know what? Quiet may come as you practice. Maybe you don't need the quiet. As you get really, really comfortable with practice, you'll be able to find the quiet within yourself. But just sitting quietly, still, close your eyes, breathe through your nose, just say a few nice intentional words to yourself. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to focus. I am going to release anything around me that does not serve me well. 
that I am just going to be with inside of myself and in my container, and I am going to relieve all my stress. You see, but you have that calm voice, right, Samantha? I mean, right. it's where do we a, find that? Where do we find that? <laughs> First of all, I forget to breathe, so that's number one. So I do have to seriously remind myself to breathe. But I don't think I can. I can have that calm voice. Could you, Samantha? I, I think that, that's. I that think is, that comes with a lot of years of. Of Trisha's practice. Right, but that's your inner voice. You have to be kind to yourself. So you have to find your own calm voice within yourself, in your mm -hmm. mind. And you had said something about, um, oh my goodness, I forgot what you just said, but you triggered something in my mind that I wanted to talk about. You said... That he can't breathe. He, he can't breathe. breathe. <laughs> he gets to breathe. That's what it was. I forget, but I do so, forget but to breathe. Is, mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a little, of course, trick, especially in the beginning, while you're teaching yourself or training yourself or becoming comfortable with meditation. So if you close your eyes and you breathe through your nose and make the breath your exercise and your concentration. So if you're closing your eyes and you're inhaling through your nose and you give yourself a count. So if you count to three, maybe that's your number. One, two, three. And then pause for the holding of the breath and then exhale to the same count of three and then pause at the bottom of the breath. Maybe you'll increase that to four or five. But if you're concentrating on the breath, you're not going to forget to breathe. Those to-do lists will seem further away from you. And the chatter that kind of comes in, you're just going to leave it. You're going to leave it outside the room. And the reality is, if it's important chatter, it's going to be there when you're done. But you're going to be calmer, and you'll be able to deal with the to-do list, or the chatter, or the phone call you have to go make, or the client meeting you have to go do, or the next podcast you have to prepare for. What about a guided meditation? Would you recommend... You know, going to wherever you are, your car, your room, your office, meditation room, trying to do it yourself, or it's like a guided meditation. Like the one that Trish provided to us was fantastic, and I, I got a lot of use out of that. And I know there are different apps that have, uh, you know, the guided meditation. So, number one, how important is it to have a guided meditation, at least in the beginning when you're trying to figure things out? And is there an app or something that you recommend? So I think that's a really good point. I think that for some people... A guided meditation may be the only way they'll ever be able to really relax and meditate. And that's wonderful. And that's fine. Mm. I just didn't think that maybe in a workplace you may not have the ability for that 30. Sometimes you just need 30 seconds to chill out and relax. Just five calming breaths as you're walking down the hallway on your way to the next meeting. But yes, a guided app, sometimes at the end of the day when you're trying to really relax and you get home, you know what, instead of that glass of wine, maybe you want to mm. put in some earbuds and go sit in a quiet place and put on a Calm app. I think that's one of the app's names is Calm. Right, yes. mm -hmm. and, yeah. you, and you know what? You can go on YouTube. You'll find guided meditations. You don't have to sign up for things. Things come free now. Lovely internet. Lovely. Um, and you can just sit down and just, and just listen to that app and it'll guide you. Almost like guiding you to, you know, I don't know, like a la-la land or, or a nap time mm -hmm. with, a, with a story time when we were kids. Somebody read a story while we were laying on a blanket. Well, it's kind of similar. And guided meditation may be the only avenue for some people, and that's great. The other short little things where you do your breath, mindful breathing, that's kind of a meditation as well. So mm -hmm. I think it's different kinds, and I think that everybody should explore and try it all. And you may have a blend of all. Can I have a glass of wine while I meditate? I, don't, I really don't suggest that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think those nice. I mean, you know, some people might, but, you know, if, to each his own, as long as the benefit at the end is still the same, right? I mean, the benefit and the goal is to have less stress. Mm -hmm. Less stress means we're happy. 
less stress means that we can communicate with other people in a more healthy you know in a more healthy way mm -hmm. so what does that do that that benefits our relationships our benefits our work environment our home environment just a general sense of well-being it really does it helps us in a healthy way maybe we won't be as sick maybe we won't have to call out of work going back to the employer and why it's important in the workplace mm -hmm. maybe they won't call out sick maybe we won't have employee turnover just the idea that employers can embrace that and provide the just un understanding that meditation may work for some people even if it doesn't work for that boss or that employer mm -hmm. but that respecting the fact that somebody else might. have you seen attorneys or staff here at our firm take advantage of this um, well other than you telling me that you <laughs> have which I really thoroughly enjoyed I, I others have come up to me right away and said that they're really excited about the room other than wanting to know where I got some furniture from <laughs> which really there's only one piece of furniture in there but um, you know they were very excited about the idea of it and I did get great feedback about that whether or not they're actually putting it to use really not not my business so I don't know and I and that's okay just knowing that we have the room there for their um, use and their private space I think that that right only in just that alone was beneficial mm -hmm. do you I mean, like anything else I, I feel like maybe education is important right letting your employees and your staff know not only that it's there but like what it is and how it can be beneficial because workplaces can be so tense and tough and that triggers you know I'll be being that sick but as, from an employer's perspective claims being brought and people feeling not treat being treated properly or it's it, it just I feel like it's a it's such a beneficial thing that like anything else if we if there was some education involved hey not only do we have a meditation room but watch this 15 minute mm -hmm. you know video or have you know whether it's a, you know, a certified yoga instructor or you know, a, a meditation instructor come in and, and talk to your to your folks for you know, pretty just to educate, I think that would go a long way. I agree. I right? agree. Yeah. I think it's I think it's something that people should consider. Um, I will probably offer some guided meditations here at some point in the new year. But if not, I'll put them out, you know, just as a video, like maybe not a video like you said, but just share them in some way. There is some printed material. I have left some printed material in the room, but it's definitely something that, you know, people should in some way educate whether or not it's in print or video or bringing someone into their workplace. Right. I mean, I, th I think it's it's awesome, and I, you know, I think it's something that should be very advantageous to employers and the workplace in general. I have a final question for you, though. Yes. What's your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to definitely carve out more time for my own practice of meditation. I knew that. I knew it. I knew it. That was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, when it comes to year-end, I mean, as, as many employers probably realize, it gets a little intense. Mm -hmm. So by the time January comes, I like to have a full-on schedule. And yeah, you may have to schedule, carve out your time to intentionally sit down and create your quiet space. And whether or not you're actually meditating or journaling or doing yoga or reading a book, I mean, let's, it doesn't all have to be on my, on my you know, my hobbies, but you know, whatever it is, just carving out time, more time for yourself. So yeah. I hope that, you know, that's my goal and maybe everybody else can do the same. Yeah, and I think that's good. And, and, you know, you raised the issue about, you know, like the new year. Like for me, you know, as an attorney, you know, you're judged by your billable hours and your collections, you know, you know from a business mm -hmm. perspective. And then you come back in the office on January 2nd 
and everything's set to zero again. And it's negative nine degrees outside. Football's over. The holidays are over. I feel like you got to get in a good mindset. And I think that's a, a good thing to have in your back pocket. Let's go. Let's get started again. But let's do it in a nice, calm way and get the year off to a good start. Right. It will keep you healthy. Now, right. everybody's New Year's resolutions are usually health-related, mm -hmm. which is a very good thing. Don't get me wrong. But this is part of it. Everyone thinks just let's go work out, let's burn some calories, and let's lose five pounds. Right. But you know what else is going to help you in a healthy way overall is to also have a calm mind and a calm body. And to do that, maybe it's a yoga practice. Maybe it's a meditation practice. I love it. Well, Fabulous. Terrific. Thank you for Thank joining you us, so Trish. Thank you so much. Thank have, you for having me. Have the best holiday season. Same to you both. And we will uh, see you back next year on the Employment Huddle if you have some time for us. Of course. I'm going to meditate. Okay, me too. Right. Bye. 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 Well, my name is Trisha Gray, and I will be leading you on a guided meditation. To set up, let's find a quiet, comfortable space. You can be seated either on the floor or in a chair. If you are in a chair, the feet are flat on the floor and you're seated tall, not slouched into the back of the chair. If you are seated on the floor, you can sit on a pillow, a cushion, or a block, and the legs should be crossed in front of you. Place the hands on the thighs or stacked comfortably in the center of the lap with the palms facing up. Stack the left on top of the right. Sit up tall so that the spine is lengthened from the tailbone to the crown of the head. Begin by taking a deep breath and hold the top of the breath for five seconds. Exhale slowly and release. Pause for five seconds. Take another deep breath, as deep as you can, and hold it for the count of five. And as you exhale, slowly, imagine releasing all of the stress. Take a third deep breath and hold at the top counting to five. And as you exhale slowly, release any stress you've been holding on to, saying to yourself, relax now. This is your new solution to stress. Whenever you become stressed in the future, simply pause for three full deep breaths, holding at the top of the inhalation for five seconds. And when you exhale, release any stress and tension that you feel. And on the third breath, as you exhale, smile to yourself and say, Relax now. We will now move on for a short body scan. Begin by slowly blinking the eyes. And with each number I say, 
Blink once. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Zero. Allow the eyes to gently close. And when you do this, you feel a wave of relaxation sweep over you. Bring your awareness to the sensations at the top of the head. Just notice how the very top of the head feels. Now bring the focus and awareness to the eyes. Notice how the eyes feel. A little movement in the eyes is called rapid eye movement and is completely normal. Focus on the space behind the eyes. Allow the eyes to relax even more. Bring awareness to the mouth. The jaw. The teeth. the tongue. Notice where the tongue is resting and allow it to release to the bottom of the mouth. On the next exhale, release any tension in the jaw. Allow there to be space between the upper and lower teeth and maybe even allow the lips to part slightly. Bring the focus and awareness to the shoulders. Notice if the shoulders are tight and rigid. Is there room to release the shoulders away from the ears? Allow the shoulders to relax. Inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feel the chest expand with the breath. Maybe notice that the back body expands. Exhale, lengthening the tailbone down and keeping the back long and tall to the crown of the head. Inhale and exhale. On the next inhalation, bring the awareness into the belly. 
Allow the belly to rise and fall with two slow rounds of breath. Shift the focus into the hands. There should be no tension in the fingers. They may even curl slightly towards the center. Notice any sensations at the center of the palms. Imagine a warm sensation at the center of the palm, as if someone has placed a warm stone in each hand. Allow this warm sensation to travel to the wrists, the forearms, the elbows, the upper arms, shoulders, back of the neck, back of the head. the top of the head where we began. Notice if there are any new sensations at the top of the head. Feel the warmth travel down the back of the body from the top of the head to the tip of the tailbone. Feel an overall sense of relaxation and lightness from within. Continue to sit quietly for as long as your schedule will allow. I will leave you here. And in closing, I wish you peace, serenity, and a sense of calm for today and all the future days. Namaste.